Hi guys and welcome to the Fights at Boxing Podcast. I'm Lou Cash as always and uh, yeah, two fights for, for us this week. Um, the the big one between uh, Josh Taylor and Tiafima Lopez in which uh, Tiafima Lopez uh, completely uh, you know, ignored my prediction, how rude of him, uh, it made me look like an idiot. Um, so I'll be breaking down here. You know, if you listen to this podcast, you know I enjoy breaking down where I was wrong. So uh, I'll be doing that. And then um, a little bit on Sonny Edwards um, against... Um, against Andres Campos because I, I, I watched that fight and you know I like talking about Sonny Edwards um, yeah it's um, I'm not going to be going deeper uh, into any of the cards or talking about anything else that happened this weekend because I was sick I had COVID and kind of still do even though I think I'm negative I'm not sure anyway point being is um, I haven't had a good week and I haven't had time to watch everything and you know blah blah blah, blah. so if you, if you were really interested in diving into the depths of everything else it's not happening this week. Um, my apologies. In any case, um, let's get started. So, Teofimo Lopez um, comfortably beat Josh Taylor, despite the card saying it wasn't that comfortable and there was only two rounds in it. Um, you know, that uh, Teofimo Lopez needed the uh, final round to get a draw, uh, to get a win and not a draw, is kind of a travesty. But, um, you know, I can't. Don't have the energy to be too outraged about that, you know. Um, Scott Christ on Bad Left Hook wrote a you know perfectly sensible um, opinion piece of you know that uh, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be allowing for you know oh yeah the right guy won he is clearly wrong but the right guy did win so so whatever and he's right he's right um, you know it, it would only have been one bad round from Lopez to uh, to lead to an absolute choke of a result but um, I'm, I'm I'm just not. <laughs> just can't muster the energy to, to talk about it right now. Uh, you know, it, it does get depressing. But, you know, let's set that aside and talk about a really good performance by Tiafimo Lopez and how he did what he needed to do. So if anyone saw my preview um, on ba- on Bloody Elbow, um, my theory was that Josh Taylor, and, you know, I clearly wasn't alone in this, but let's talk about myself. Um, my theory was that Josh Taylor was going to win because... Um, because he had more ways to win. Um, Teofimo Lopez needed a specific set of things to happen, that being Josh Taylor coming at him, and he needed to overcome a size disadvantage, which he's not normally been good at, you know, and uh, and he's the one who typically loses his call and not Josh Taylor and all of that stuff. And um, so I was right about one thing, that Teofimo Lopez ultimately did need one thing, uh, need to get... Um, Josh Taylor on the attack. That that was how he's going to win the fight. It is a no, it is a notable difference. So he did push forward sometimes, but it's a notable difference between this fight and the Lomachenko fight. His other great performance. Um, in that fight, he was pushing forward a lot. He um, he was getting into um, Lomachenko's space and making him go backwards because that's how he was stopping um, Lomachenko getting into his zone and circling. And uh, you know, Lomachenko likes to be advancing. He's not a great back foot fighter he likes to be he likes to be advancing he likes to get in close quickly and um and be circling his opponent very from very close range um to um josh taylor is a bit different you know he's you know he's not as good a fighter even as best as uh, lomachenko but he has other advantages one of them is being taller um but um but one of them being that he will circle that range uh if he needs, you know, if he needs to, if the opponent gives him it, he will happily just, you know, circle a bit at range, uh, zoom in and out as they come at him, um, do that kind of thing. And so, um, so Lopez needed to persuade him not to do that, not to just be sitting and relying on the jab and uh, coasting around, um, circling him at range. And the way he did that, the first thing he did was just take away 
um, Josh Taylor's confidence in his jab. And this was a story of a lot of the fight, was uh, the mental games that, you know, ironic considering how much me and everyone else was talking about um, Tio's mental mental space and where he is and whether he was going to lose his call. He won this as much mentally as he did with his technical advantage. He did show a technical advantage, but he did it by convincing Josh Taylor of of things or not to do shit. Um, and the, f- the very first thing he did was, like I say, um, convince Josh Taylor not to use a jab. And one of these is something we've been seeing recently. Um, seems to be a very effective way to convince jabbers not to jab is to stuff his hand down, parry the jab. Um, it's a southpaw orthodox matchup. Josh Taylor's a southpaw here, so... Um, so open stance, um, you know, two jab hands facing each other, and oftentimes you see the uh, the orthodox fighter being the one who loses confidence in his jab because he's not used to jabbing a southpaw, whereas a southpaw is a uh, jabbing orthodox fighters all the time. Um, but in this case, yeah, he um, Lopez firstly just interfered with the jab. Like every time he wasn't doing anything, he just snapped the jab down, snapped it down. Um, but when Taylor did throw the jab, that this was the important part. When Taylor did throw the jab. Um, Lopez showed his head movement and um, you know sl- swayed back from it or slipped it, slipped it to the side a bit, you know not ducking under. Then we'll come to his uh, ducking under later, but just swayed back from it and um, but crucially mostly held his feet and uh, then you know came back into position and Josh Taylor found himself having missed the jab, but closer to Lopez than he wanted to be, having missed that jab. And that really put him off. Like that really didn't. Uh, he didn't like that at all, really. And yeah, he started. Lo- he started losing confidence in his jab and his follow-ups to the jab. Um, and then the second thing uh, Lopez needed to get Taylor to do was not to circle at range to uh, to come at him and try try to get in close. Um, you know, as quickly as possible. Um, and he did that uh, by hooking simply <laughs> by throwing out his um, left hook as. Um, Taylor tried to circle around his lead hand, but um, and this is a bit I really enjoyed because if you follow me and follow my opinions on boxing at all, you may know that I, I, I'm often very irritated by this thing in the southpaw versus orthodox matchup that you have to have your foot on the outside, you have to have your lead foot on the outside, uh, you know, otherwise you're never going to get anywhere. I really, you know, I really hate that uh, being spoken as if it's the only possible way to box. In that situation, and um, Teofimo Lopez really put on a display of why, you know, why that isn't always the best thing, and how to do it, um, how to do, how to use an inside foot position for his benefit. And basically, he let Taylor get the outside foot position, and before Taylor even no, as Taylor was taking it, he was already throwing up the left hook, left hook, and um, as a result, when Taylor tried to get out in that direction, he was walking into the into the left hook. He couldn't move to his own right. He couldn't move to his own left because he had the outside foot position. Um, and yeah, he couldn't pivot without tripping. It was basically uh, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't step out without squaring up, which would have left him even more vulnerable. Um, so he basically had to hop straight back out, and that just limited his his own movement. And um, and yeah, he um, he got himself into trouble, and he never did figure out that he was getting himself into trouble because. Because Lopez was taking that inside foot position and letting him have the superior outside, and uh, and it got him flustered. <laughs> it just did. Um, and yeah, so that was the first thing Lopez needed to do, and he did pretty pretty much pretty quickly after the first round. Um, Taylor was about you know he was going to be anyway to some extent because he likes coming in like even though he can fight at distance, Taylor likes attacking. 
but um but he got uncomfortable being at distance so he was trying to get into his you know bread and butter as soon as possible and that then became the battle for Lopez was to was to win that fight because Lopez needs Taylor to come at him but Taylor likes to be inside he has many advantages there and then Taylor uh, the, the first four rounds or so were pretty tight you know Taylor was having his successes he was getting little blitzes of shots off he was doing the things he needed to do um, it was pretty even and then uh, Lopez started to work things out and um, and the thing is what he did um, and this is a thing I really didn't anticipate him doing as well as he did um, was he wasn't um, just throwing intercepting shots to damage Taylor like I was expecting him to be trying to pause Taylor's movement and then you know slip away you know all of that stuff but what he was doing eventually once he got it sorted out what he was doing and what he, what he needed to do how he needed to do it was throwing shots that not so much disrupted Taylor's movement as disrupted his posture made it difficult for him to come in in the in the way that he wanted and you know the first and most obvious one is a body shot that kind of doubles you over Taylor really didn't like the body shots um and he backed off for a little while after a few of them and the second one was you know just simple up in, up in, uppercut or cuff, sort of cuffing upwards you know not quite an uppercut but like an upward uh, right hand or sometimes a left hand um that kind of just snapped Taylor's head up a little bit you know it didn't even have, have to be a big movement but if Taylor's trying to come into a inside position where he's more you know Tunched, chin tucked, and he is meeting and an up a rising punch on the way. It makes it harder. He comes in higher than he had been expecting, and um, Taylor was anticipating that, using that, and um, and taking the you know breaking his posture basically. And he was, and in that respect, he was again using the inside foot position, letting Taylor take the outside position, foot position and just sticking his foot directly down Taylor's centre line so that his shoulders were on line, you know, down down the centre of Taylor's posture. And he was just completely making Taylor square up, just completely breaking his posture. Um, and yeah, there's another thing Taylor didn't like. Um, he just got discomforted and he couldn't find his range. He couldn't, he couldn't figure out how to get himself into the right position because he was basically using Lopez was using his height was Taylor's height advantage against him and he was cheating not cheating but pushing the boundaries let's say a bit um, when he was ducking under he'd duck under and come up under and uh, Taylor would grab him grab his neck and put him in headlock basically and the referee kept warning Taylor which you know yeah he can't do that but Lopez was very definitely doing it on purpose putting Taylor into a position where he had to grab on or um, well you know Lopez was just coming up underneath and sort of sho shoveling him up out of the way. Um, but could have resulted in a head clash if he hadn't done that, you know, if he hadn't grabbed the head, all that kind of thing. So, um, you know, yeah, he was justified in warning, you know, don't do the headlocks, but he never once told Lopez off for for coming in too low and coming up and up under and uh, and basically shoving his head into those positions. And that was a smart, smart play because, you know, Taylor was kind of helpless. And there was a couple of times when he looked at the ref like, you know, what? But, um, but he didn't fight his corner, um, fight his own corner, not fight with his corner, man. He didn't fight, he didn't advocate for himself like that much. He was being, you know, a sportsman, I guess. Um, and yeah, so Lopez, um, and that was just another thing that contributed to Taylor's lack of confidence in his own positioning inside. And once he got all that sorted and he had this disruption going and he knew what he was throwing to um, to make Taylor 
feel uncomfortable. He started pulling out, you know, the dance moves and the, the slick head movement, which was, again, making, you know, not just the jab, but everything Taylor threw for short. Not, you know, everything. Taylor did land shots, but, um, but you know, he was making power shots for short. He was, um, he was making, matadoring him. It was a, it was a really slick bit of a slick bit of business. And, um, yeah, you could just see Taylor wilting by the minute. It was, uh, yeah, it was Lopez who got into Taylor's head rather than the other way around. And that was, you know, the, one of the real surprising things about it, uh, Lopez was just in full control, full awareness of what he was doing the whole time. Um, and yeah, it should be noted that um, he didn't, you know, he didn't reinvent the wheel. He put in a really good performance within the par- parameters. This has been like me, made, you know, trying to downplay his achievement. Um, no, it was super impressive. But, um, you know, he didn't do things that he's never done before like I talked to, uh, in our preview one of the reasons I thought Josh Taylor had the advantage was that um, Taylor isn't good at pressing when I've seen him in the past having to be the guy coming forward um, he um, he just is pretty bad at it and you know he contained himself more here than he normally does um, and the, you know when the moments when he did come forward he um, he didn't mostly well he didn't come in well he occasionally did come in with these huge swinging shots but they were part of like just throwing something in there to keep Taylor guessing. Um, when he like when he really needed to um, come forward, he you know when he was really trying to achieve something um, specific, he wasn't like cutting loose and going crazy. But at the same time, there wasn't like it wasn't a pressure fighting performance. There wasn't any kind of um, you know pr- departure from from what we'd seen previously where he suddenly knew how to push Taylor into corners. It was all about getting Taylor to come to him. Um, it just found ways to do it that I wasn't expecting or, yeah, you know, that I hadn't expected to, that I hadn't expected to see this, this weekend. And, um, yeah, and it, the impressive thing was that it was a very different performance to the Josh, to the Lomachenko one, you know, both against the Southpaw who likes to get inside, but, um, you know, has that, uh, has skills in there and that, um, that Tiafimo has to um, has to prov- you know get him to come towards him to a certain extent, but has to prevent him from really getting inside. Um, but yeah, like I say, in the Lomachenko fight, he he needed Lomachenko to come towards him when he needed, but he was pushing Lomachenko back a lot. He was stepping into Lomachenko's space, and Lomachenko was backing off again. Not like a pressure fighting performance because he didn't want to be in close with uh, Loma so much. But um, but he was getting into his man's space, and in this case, he wasn't. He was um, he was um, fooling, letting Taylor come at him, and then fooling Taylor about about the distance. That 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 is the thing that he possibly does best when he's in the on his game is um, yeah, just deceive his opponent about how close they are to him, um, and uh, make them uncomfortable with the distance. And he did it with Loma, and he did it here in completely different ways, and that's the impressive thing. I'm rambling a bit. I'm going to wrap it up. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's another thing. Interesting thing about the performance for me was um, I worried that he'd lose the physical scrap, and uh, he didn't. Clearly, he um, he dominated physically, but it, again, it wasn't about like he, he didn't let it get to the point of having to really shove for position. He was taking those positions, winning that battle before it got to that point, which is the way you're supposed to do it. Um, but, um, yeah, it was just just interesting to see, just see Josh Taylor, um, you know, be have all this taken away from him. One thing to note is this. Um, 
I've seen people say that Josh Taylor didn't look any better than he did against Jack Catterall. And I would say that's very unfair to both him and to Tiafimo Lopez. Um, it's possibly I'm being unfair to Jack Catterall here. But um, my feeling is that in the Catterall fight, um, and I did go back to watch a bit of it to, to make sure that I wasn't imagining things. And I think I'm right. Um, in the Catterall fight, Josh Taylor was just being static, like he was just bullying in and trying to kind of use his power and size to muscle his way around Catterall and it wasn't working, Catterall was further away and managing the distance better and all of that stuff. Um, but Josh Taylor was already sort of static. In this one, um, Lopez had to convince him of it. Lopez, and you know, maybe he forgot how the movement quicker than he would have done back in the day in um, under McGuigan. But um, you know, he's again on his third coach in a you know in a pretty short period of time. He's uh, with um, Joe McNally now after a detour to um, Ben Davison, which went for whatever reason that didn't work out. Um, uh, but yeah, he um, he started trying to circle. He started trying to do the things that we would expect from Josh Taylor. It just got persuaded not to do them. So that's the difference between this fight and the Catterall performance, which, quite frankly, you know, he just didn't look good in. And some of that may be down to what Catterall was doing, which certainly was. But um, but this was a different performance from him, and it was a really good performance to nullify all that from from Lopez. Um, for the future, um, Josh Taylor's moving up to 147, so that'll be interesting, you know, whether he can regain his mojo there. Um, you know, credits for where it's due. He didn't blame the weight, and... Uh, you know, like I say, I, I think it was he started off performing perfectly well. Uh, the weight may have, the drain may have affected him as the fight went on, but he didn't look like out of it physically. He didn't look like fucked. But he does need to go up. He was supposed to have gone up a year ago. Then he spent a year dicking Jack Catterall around, you know. Um, yeah, he's going to be out 147. Whether he can handle that is anyone's guess. Tiafimo Lopez says he's retired. I don't actually believe him, but he may have done. And, you know, given all the talk I gave in the build-up about um, about his mental health and how I, you know, how I was genuinely worried for him, and I was, um, I can't begrudge him if he decides that that's enough. You know, if he decides that the pressure is uh, no, you know, not worth it, um, not worth what he's getting out of it, um, yeah, you know, if he wants to retire, go for it. Um, but if, as my instinct is, he either changes his mind or he's just uh, playing games... Um, you know, there is a lot going on for him. Regis Progre is fighting this weekend. Um, and he's already been calling him out because, you know, he's expected to walk over Danielita Zaria, who will be, you know, he will have opinions on that, but Progre is expected to win that pretty handily. And he has already, you know, maybe he's overlooking his opponent, but he has already been calling out uh, um, Lopez. That would be a fantastic fight, whether it can be made... Um, who knows? And because this is possibly why he's claiming to be retired. I don't know. I'm speculating, but he's been arguing with the ESPN and Top Rank, and um, there seems to be some disagreement. Like I think Teal was saying this is the last fight on his deal, but um, Bob Arum was like, "No, we've got him for you know lockdown for a bit." Uh, and then there's some other argument that he's um, he's got another year on the contract. Uh, no specific fights, just another year, which you know that doesn't seem to be how boxing contracts usually work. But maybe it is also. I am not a boxing contract expert or even vaguely familiar with how they work, so I don't know. That may, be, that may inform the retirement. It's possible that he'll sit out, try to sit the year out, and then go. Um, I would expect legal action. I would suspect legal action before we see Teo Lopez back in the room. Um, 
which is a sad, sad it's a shame it's more bullshit that he has to deal with but um yeah, it is what it is. So, yeah, uh, okay, the undercard had Alexander's ass on it. I watched highlights of the fight. Um, he's a good talent. He's I think he's still only 19, and we're just going to check. Um, Alexander's ass. Uh, he's 20. He's Yeah, he's, he turned 20 in September, so, you know, yeah. Um, but he's, you know, young. Um, he is now putting in these performances from what I saw there, where he's lacking the real finisher instinct with the real finding the the holes like he has a really good technical skill set he is ridiculously complete for a kid that young um but having knocked his guy down in the first round you may have expected him to go on and find a finish and uh, he didn't um and this is kind of something that happened in previous fights if i recall where he kind of he has such a ridiculous technical advantage that he's in no danger of losing the fight but he doesn't find uh he doesn't find the finish um yeah his uh his last fight was in uh in decision and he had another one last year in march last year he's um he's getting a lot of decisions you know eight round decisions um and a guy who he doesn't fight he doesn't throw without pop and he's you know being primed for world for world level and on a technical skill set level he has that skill set to be a world level fighter he needs to, he does need to be figuring out how to get to these dudes um quicker than he is because he needs to be you know it's not about necessarily just about finding the finish in this fight it's about knowing seeing what's in front of you and finding the tactical adjustment sort of thing and i'm not sure he's there yet whether he can learn it or whether he needs to be with the right coach who can tell him when to do it. That's, you know, he's only 20. He's got time. He's got loads of time on his side. Uh, you know, I, when I say world level in his future, I am not throwing him in at world level, you know, in the next two years minimum, probably longer than that. But he is one to watch. Um, that's all I've really got to say about that, that card because that's literally the only other thing I saw and it wasn't even the full fight. So, so let's move on to Sonny Edwards. And Sonny Edwards made his uh, his own debut, um, made his debut in the matchroom with Eddie Hearn, and he kind of, you know, in the build-up, as ex- you know, as he expected, uh, Eddie Hearn and Sonny were bouncing off each other, you know, talking about how Eddie Hearn doesn't like him or didn't like him, but he decided, okay, well, I'm gonna, you know, take take a chance uh, or take my chance and uh, sign him up, and uh, you know, he's gonna keep banging on at me from over the fence or to bring him onto my side of the fence type of thing. But, you know, fair enough. They they are a match made in heaven as far as personality goes. Um, And you know, Sonny is kind of there to annoy people. He he's makes no bones about it. Um, his performance, like this, was his first introduction to a lot of people, I suspect, because previously he's had good wins, but they've been under the um, MTK slash Probellum. He was previously with um, with Warren, uh, with uh, I think he was on BT, but then he. Um, kind of departed for the Probellum experiment, which obviously fell apart because Probellum fell apart. I'm not going to, you know, super go into it. Um, not a wise move, but, um, yeah, you know, some moralizing might be expected, but my my ultimately my feeling on that is, is uh, there is a reason everyone signed with MTK, like, and it's not because they all wanted to be mates with a gangster, it's because the gangster was uh, genuinely, by all accounts, genuinely doing right by the boxers which you know was he doing right by the boxers because he wanted to do right by the boxers or because he was you know looking for ways to to um present himself 
whatever. But um, you know, um, it's kind of a you live in a society thing. If you're gonna if you're gonna have a go at the boxers for signing with a company that uh, that um, you know that um, helps them, that generally is helping them out. Um, you know, my my beef would be more with the uh, promoters and all of that kind of stuff who are, who um, partner with MTK and allow them to do their work. So whatever you know um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go into some deep moralizing about sonny edwards but i kind of did feel i had to get out of there um in any case he got caught up in the pro bellum thing but unlike uh, other pro bellum fighters he was active he just i don't just I'm not sure anyone saw his last couple of fights um any <clears throat> anyway so this what, what i was kind of rambling my way around to was this was his introduction to the world and it's probably especially to viewers uh, overseas for a lot of people for you know viewers outside of the uh, outside of the UK for a lot of people um, and I it's fair to say that uh, not everyone is a fan which you know expected expected it's Sonny Edwards um, I would say that some people were being a bit unfair like um, so they were suddenly decrying it's a scrappy performance um, that he's not going to beat Bam fighting like that um you know, he's not even on a world level like all the other champions. I saw, saw some people say, you know, all the other champions would beat him. That's nonsense. Um, you know, he absolutely dances around. Um, who knows? Um, <laughs> I was about to say, who knows Cesar Martinez? Um, I, I meant who knows Cesar Martinez. I was about to say who knows Cesar Chavez. I meant who knows Cesar Martinez. And um, Artem Delakim, I don't think it's got an awful lot for Sunny Edwards. Bam is, Bam is tough. Bam is a great matchup. It's 50-50 for me. I can understand why people saw this and thought, oh, well, you know, Bam does him, but um, but Bam has had his problems as well. You know, it's a tough one. Uh, anyway, let's talk about it. Um, Andres Campos, you know, he was making a massive leap in levels and he took it quite well. I think that was part of the people's uh, disappointment. Um, and I expected it to be uh, more comfortable than it was, but at the same time, I, unlike the Josh Taylor fight, I pretty much nailed if Campos was going to give him problems, you know, what problems they were going to be. And they were that his defence is better than than you might expect from someone who's been fighting, you know, basically local shows in Chile. Um, he has a good defence when he's coming forward, you know, occasionally, well, more, more often previously, and in this fight less often than I thought, but still he would overbalance sometimes. But when he's not doing, you know, step over, step in too heavy and overbalance. But when he's not doing that, he has a tight defense. And then when he gets in close, he keeps the shape really well and he can shove his opponent off balance and work the body. And he did that. And that was Sonny Edwards' biggest problem was um, when he tried to get into his uh, infighting, um, Campos was able to basically have a bit more success there than Edwards expected. Um but other than that, you know, most of the time, Sonny Edwards was winning most of the exchanges inside and out. You know, when he was on his bike, he was comfortably winning. And when it got in close, for the most part, he was landing way more shots on Campos than Campos was on him. There were a couple of times when Campos caught him. The most dangerous moments for Sonny were not in the pocket boxing. They were in transition. And this was, this was one thing that I was a bit concerned about. Because I have previously been worried about it in the past that uh, Sonny Edwards when he's in transition when he's changing from one situation to another he takes shortcuts and his chin gets up in the air and he gets upright and a bit off balance and gets caught and in his last couple of fights my impression had been that he had fixed it like he put in a cleaner performance against um 
against uh, Felix Alvarado, who don't get it twisted, is a better boxer than uh, Andres Campos. He had not had those moments where he was getting caught off balance. And in this one, he did. So I don't know what happened there. Um, it may be a case that against uh, Alvarado, he was just simply doing it less. He was... Um, when he was on the ropes, he was on the ropes. When he was on the outside, he was on the outside. In this fight, he was doing more... more trying to play games of distance and maybe maybe that's uh, what was happening, that he was just in those positions more often. Um, but at the same time, it's still only you know maybe once around, and he does have to be careful of that against the better opponents, but it, he was in no danger here. Um, and yeah, the thing about Sonny Edwards is his feel for range and for movement, for his balance, for his positioning, uh, respective to his opponent, is just really, really good. Um he, you know, you're never going to teach what he does. Like, you're never going to take, clip that and show it to your students if you're a coach and say this is the form that you should be aiming for. He's always going to be a little raggedy, and he never sits in his punches, which is always going to have certain amount of, um, you know, downside. Um, he's he's not he's not generating power. He's never he's he's never going to. Um, yeah, um, I saw the, the the commentators were constantly saying, you know, why does he drop to the ropes all the time? Um, he wants to fight in the pocket, and th- I said this in my preview, and I th- still think I'm right. Is um, Edwards wants to f- when he wants to fight in the pocket. Um, if you want to fight in the pocket in centre ring, you have to hold your feet. You have to set up a stance that limits your movement, because otherwise you you have to you know, if you um, slip or whatever, you're going to be off balance, and you have to exit anyway, which she does all the time. But if you want to actually have a little pocket exchange, you have to hold your feet. And Sonny Edwards is not comfortable with holding his feet because it limits his movement. And so paradoxically, dropping to the ropes, even though it takes away the escape angle directly behind him, um, I say paradoxically, it's more just counterintuitively, it leaves him more free to move because he lets the ropes take his weight and then he can move either direction. He's not set to um, have to pivot you know, out that way or he has to re- you know, reset if he wants to move in a different direction. So he's leaving himself more options open and still be able to fight on the inside by doing that. Um, and the thing is, the, the argument that kind of bothers me, I understand it, I understand it, and it may bite him on the bum um, at some stage. The argument that um, he shouldn't be dropping to the ropes because it makes it look like the fight is close. Even though the problem is, most of the time, it fucking isn't. You know, if his opponent throws 15 punches and lands one, um, and Sonny Edwards lands five or six... Uh, in the same exchange he's won that exchange comfortably and if the judges have missed it that's kind of on them and yes it's true that when you're in the arena and you're looking from the back you're basically just guessing but um so in that respect sure um and maybe this is a thing that's uh an argument to modernize boxing judging which i'm not going to go into now but um but yeah when he gets into you know every fight he's been on the inside in including against Alvarado, who is really good in there. He's won almost every exchange when he's been inside. There have been a couple of occasions, like today, like um, this Saturday, where he did get, you know, take a solid shot um, and have to retreat to the outside and uh, and fight there. But he's winning those those exchanges for most of the time. And it's just like he's almost being... Um, his opponents are almost being given those exchanges because people believe that Sonny Edwards should be on the outside which just isn't how you score a fight um, and you know maybe when people realise that he likes being there and is good at it he'll start getting the credit he deserves for it in any case yeah um, just in terms of the prospects of a, of why I think him and Bam are so 
it's such a good fight and why I don't think people should be looking, you know, even though Campos isn't, you know, BAM's level, um, people should be looking, you know, shouldn't be writing off him beating BAM. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pick that one, um, at least not now. Um, it's that um, we've never, you know, this goes both ways. We've never seen Sonny Edwards in with someone who moves like BAM. We've never seen BAM in with someone who moves like Edwards. We have seen BAM in with people who will spin with him when he tries to pivot and he doesn't particularly like it. He has an adjustment. He becomes more of a Golovkin type pressure fighter um, corralling people behind the jab. Um, not allowing them to spin uh, spin with him because he's not doing it. He's never had to deal with, you know, if, if, you try, if he turns to that against Sonny Edwards, Edwards is just going to vanish. So he'll have to really prove his um, ring closing footwork and it's not clear if he has it to that level. Um, for Edwards, the danger is that um, if he tries his um, shortcut taking and leaves his chin in the air, bam, is going to be much faster than anyone in his face to see and react and try to catch him. But um, but it's just going to be a game of so much fainting, so much playing with the rhythm, trying to get the other opponents to buy it. It'll be active because both are active, but there's going to be so much of them trying to fool each other. And... Um, and I don't think you can say on any evidence we've seen so far that Bam is just definitely going to be able to fool, fool Edwards more than the vice versa, which is why I you know, really want to see that fight. It's a really high-level fight. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. I have been rambling on for a half an hour now, which, you know, given that I'm still a little sick, uh, that's enough. I am going to stop now. Um, two fights this weekend. It's uh, Reggie Progo, like I said, against uh, Daniel Tesoria, or Zorilla. I apologise if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um... And um, Costa Chu, yeah, yeah, Tim Chu against um, against um, Ocampos, who, um, you know, they're both of them are tick over fights. They're, neither of them are, you know, the fight of the year material, but um, both are entertaining fighters. Um, so let's uh, let's enjoy them. Um, yeah, we should be doing a bloody elbow preview of the Tim Chu fight, which is in Australia but on American time. Um, Will I have a fight site preview? Um, I can't promise. I would like to. I missed one last week. I would like to have one this week. But again, I'm you know not feeling. I'm off sick, off work sick, um, which means I have the time. But I you know I would like to not be thinking about boxing all the time, and I do have to do some stuff. So um, we'll see. We'll see. No promises. But I'll see you next week anyway. Um, and yeah. Um, you know, all the usual stuff, sign up for the fight site uh, at thefightsite.com, sign up for the Patreon app, um, have our stuff, follow me at Crafty Boxing on Twitter, follow the fight site at the fight site, uh, why did I say find us at the fight site, uh, at the fight site when it's just thefightsite.com, there's a hyphen in there, whatever, if you're listening to me, you know. Um, anyway, I will see you next week and have a good one.